peek behind the curtain of the Softly Training Lab with the Softly Performance Podcast. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it. Well, hey guys, welcome back to another Softly Performance Podcast. Matt and I are jumping on today talking about something that you know he brought to uh, my attention, which is actually something really fascinating. I didn't know that it was key, this term, um, the dynamic systems theory. And for me, I, I guess you can say from you know being in the trenches is a lot and working with athletes and understanding skill acquisition and mortar control and mortar, and, and mortar learn, learning, um, I've never really tied a scientific term to something as such. And, you know, something we said prior to the podcast starting was realistically, this is just a way of playing movement exploration. And, and I think that is like probably the most easiest way we can go ahead and approach this. But at the end of the day, like I'm going to let Matt dive deep into the science this time, because last last week he let me <laughs> dive into the theory into my head. And now I'm going to go ahead and pick his brain. So opening it up, you know, first off, Matt, what got you into, you know, playing around with this theory? Right, like this, this, this dynamic systems theory. What opened the doors to to finding this and actually now utilizing and looking at it from a uh, an observer's perspective for the tactical professional? Sure. Well, I think um, I think really we we see we have this problem in sport, but particularly in the tactical world, this idea of things we do things we do in the gym and the amount of time and resources we spend on the things you do in the gym. And they carry over to to real life or to play. So, for instance, you you uh, complete a training session, and we we have some strength stuff, we have some stamina accessory. It's all very well and good. Like it gets us it gets us hot and sweaty. It, it kind of uh, makes us feel tired, makes us feel like we've had a good workout. But ultimately, where where I think a lot of the application is for for companies like Softly is this idea of how it transfers over the so what, if you like, um, and it. The, the more I've kind of thought about this sort of stuff, the more I think the more relevance and the more importance there is in subjects like skill acquisition and, and motor learning. Because ultimately, like we've talked about before, the numbers on the bar essentially don't really matter. It's how well you transfer that into your into your kind of profession. Well, and that's the biggest thing there, right? Something that you know I talk a lot about and be able to kind of bounce ideas off of you is this idea of transfer. You said it perfectly. Right, like, and let's kind of dive into that because I think it's it's being talked about a little bit. I've seen some uh, some of NSCA's talk a little about this in the Tactical Strength Conditioning Association aspect, um, and 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 the transferability. It's it's big, right? It's something that Softlead has really honed in on as a foundation when it comes to make sure when we write our training programs and the exercise selection is focused on some type of transferability. And it, and it could be from a tactical professional all the way down to the general population, you know, mom who has to pick her kid up every day off the floor. Um, and, and, you know, yeah. there's a wide range there. And we've talked about this also as well. Um, and as we continue to like dive and, and, and develop further more understandings of what we want for the, for the CWS, which is the conscious warrior system. Um, this is one that, you know, is big for us, this transferability. And I think the, the idea here with the dynamic systems theory, it allows for us to go ahead and actually utilize external loads and external and our external environment to go ahead and have the transferability to, you know, lower injury and, you know, mitigate risk when it comes to the job. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just, just kind of, I guess to set the scene for everybody and I apologize in advance if I, uh, 
if I butcher this, I was <laughs> chatting to George earlier in the week about it. And this is something I've been, been kind of trying to wrap my head around for a little while now, but I definitely feel like I'm still scraping the surface. Um, but, but essentially the, the dynamic systems theory, um, I believe originally came from sort of a maths and a physics um, kind of area. And it was this idea of, of like, how do we, how do we kind of make sense of, of essentially the chaos that is the things that are happening in the world. Um, and I'll put it into kind of a con the context of, of sort of sport or, or hu human performance, if you like, and hopefully that'll make more sense. So it, it's basically this idea that for every action that we perform, um, they're, they're always going to be slightly different. So anytime we perform something like, a, um, say like a, a squat, for instance, things are always going to be different from, from one rep to the next. And that might be the fact that um, your muscles are now tired, so it now feels a little bit different. Or it might be that your foot placement, one foot slightly in front of the other, or one foot's turned out slightly more, or the bar's not set quite right. Or it might be like a, 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 another cue, for instance, that your coach is giving you to try and keep your chest up more, or to sit your hips back further. So all these things mean that the, the rep changes every single time, if you like. And, and again, from a from a kind of uh, a closed sport. So by a closed sport, we mean things like powerlifting, weightlifting, uh, essentially sort of swimming and, and track events where you're not responding, you're not reacting to an opponent. For, for closed skills, this, this can be a really good thing, trying to minimize the amount of variability in, in performance. I want each rep to look pretty similar and ideally pretty close to a technical model. Now, obviously, this is where we, we things start to get a little bit more complicated in the tactical world, where we know that a back squat in the gym, for instance, looks very different from day-to-day -day duty, whatever it is your, your specialization is. Um, and that's kind of where, where George was getting that. Ultimately, it, it kind of comes down to this idea of how do we make the how do we make sure that the things that we're developing in the squat transfer to a casualty of arc or Breaching a door or something like that. How, how do we make sure that we connect those dots for, for our athletes? Um, and I, I guess that kind of sets us up for the sort of the rest of the conversation. Yeah, you know, I, I I enjoy the the word movement variability due to the fact that it's something that I've actually like looked at and and really take into consideration when I'm looking at an athlete perform a movement. Right again, like you said, right the. Their, the rep is never going to be the same, but the goal is to go ahead and have that rep be the same over time, right? So we've used an example before where I said, let's go ahead and do a three-minute MRAP of thrusters at 95 pounds. We know within 90 seconds that thrusters, <laughs> thrusters are going to go ahead and di di diminish some of that movement variability, yeah. meaning that we're going to might see the upper thoracic start to fold a little bit. Elbows might drop. You might see the left heel come off the ground due to the fact of the ankle, uh, ankle's range of motion reading, reaching its capacity. And I think that's kind of where we're moving into next when we talk about this idea of the dynamic systems theory is like the capacity of margin of error to go ahead and move to an unknown stimulus, right? So again, we've talked about this in the past where it goes into like change of direction and agility. We talked about last week where I was talking about the, the psychological flexibility, right? Having, having yeah, the, yeah. the agility to make quick split time decisions. It's the same thing here when we go ahead and look at the dynamic systems theory. If you go ahead and take a tactical athlete who has to you know, jump off a, a, a wall that's four feet with the full load on their back, their ankle range of motion is going to go ahead and change compared to the way it would look if they were to jump off a box with no external load. Yeah. So, but that mm. jump off the top of the, off a box with no external load preps them for 
that jump yeah. off of a three foot wall with a rock on their back to handle whatever that is. So again, yeah. we now take this really small margin of error of injury and dysfunctional movement, and we're increasing in that range of motion or that um, marginal of error and taking them out of the red and actually lowering them down into the green or the yellow to where they can perform their job at higher yeah. in higher stress levels, I guess you can say. Mm. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And again, that, I mean, that's ultimately the purpose of, of tactical S&C is to provide the biggest buffer that we can for, for the guys who are uh, kind of performing the job. Because like we, like we kind of have talked about with the conscious warrior system before, ultimately the athlete, regardless of what sport or activity, the more reps they can get, the more they can do their job, the better they get at doing whatever that job is. So, so really that's kind of, that has to be our model for the, for the military. Like we, I'm sure, or the, the tactical world, I'm sure everybody knows the, the, the old guy or girl who's really, really good at whatever it is that they have specialized because they've done so many reps. They've, they've done so many tours, they've done so many shouts. And you, you kind of, by doing that, you get to learn like the tips and the tricks and kind of like the, the insider ways of, of cutting corners without an affecting performance. And that's, that's something that's really, really important. But kind of like we talked about before, I think, the, the, the difficulty is that with the nature of the professions that we're, we're kind of working with, more often than not, the guys are broken by the time they get to that point. So, so, so kind of any, any effect that we're, we're trying to have as, as, um, as working on human performance is ultimately increasing that buffer to allow people to, to be able to tolerate more slips, falls, like yeah. night shifts. Uh, towards duty, we want to be able to do yeah. more so they can. Well, it's out. it's the whole idea, right? Like the, let's take a police officer who's sitting inside their cop car and all of a sudden has to perform a dead sprint out of their vehicle with, you know, ten pounds of waist weight, uh, their waist belt around their waist, plus the shooter's vest on, and their everything else like that, and going from zero to one hundred within a split second. Again, being able to teach the system how to go ahead and go from zero to 100 in a low stress environment only gives them the ability to handle it and do it in a high stress environment. So again, at the end of the day, this goes back to when we go and look at the said principle, right? We know low stress, high stress. This is the same idea here is yeah. we're taking a movement. And I guess you can, and we talked about it yesterday too, you know, the idea of the ground up approach, right? When we go ahead and look at the four M's, mm-hmm. right? The four M model that I've talked about movement variable, uh, or, you know, it's, it's consistently looking at movement variability as a whole, but it breaks it down into four M's movement, efficiency, movement, quality, movement patterns, and, um, motor control and learning, right? Makes, gives me movement variability for me to get a higher level of movement variability, meaning, instead of me breaking down in that three minute MRAP of thrusters at, at 90 seconds in, I may now be breaking down at two minutes in the goal is to ultimately keep the same movement pattern though, from when the clock hits three, two, one to when the clock hits three minutes complete, I would want to see that rep look the exact same way. Because again, sure. Let me go and take a tactical professional, for example, who, you know, from, from experience, I've had to jump over multiple different canals. And if, if, if anybody comes from the era of like that 2008 to 2012, even 13 time period in Afghanistan where, you know, nighttime and daytime patrols consisted of, you know, rucks at 60 to hundred pounds, having to leap over four or five foot wide canals that dropped eight feet, sometimes even five to four, you had to learn how to do what you had to learn how to go ahead and explode over, you know, this canal with full load on your back and continue to go ahead and fulfilling your mission yeah yeah and I, I think i mean you've touched on some really good points just in that though, there to be honest like we 
all too often in 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 kind of strength and conditioning and, and in, in gym environment we like we end the conversation at well nice job that was a good lunge or a good set of lunges or a good set of squats but but so many of the things that we we, we do there are like a kind of only part of the conversation so so we know that the kind of coming back to this idea of the dynamic systems we know that there's three main things that that can or three three factors if you like that can change so we know there can be uh environmental factors so that's going to be things like you're just talking about so the surface that's going to be the fact that he's moving on sand rather than on a nice sticky rubbery floor it's going to be the the fact that maybe the temperature's really high or really low depending on what it is you're doing and, and daylight um, so that they're all things within the environment. Um, the other fact, the other set of factors we've got are organism and task. So organism factors are going to be things that are affecting that person on that day. So like we talked about before, that could be fatigue, that could be uh, leg length. So for instance, if um, if George is is kind of out patrolling with a guy who's six five six six, that step across the canal might be relatively comfortable. But equally, if he's got someone on his team who's uh, maybe close to kind of five two, five three. All of a sudden, that becomes a hell of a leap. So it's, it's kind of it's, it's factors like that that we that we kind of have to consider. Um, and and invariably, we we kind of we don't really in the in the gym. Ultimately, we, we need to be making we need to be doing a better job. I think of making sure that we're kind of having these conversations and these considerations. So my next question is this: Does this mean that we start throwing? athletes into training vests and their weight belts and kettlebells and all those other things to go ahead and increase this or or how does that look like how do we train them to get ready for yes. for those environmentals yeah. organism and task yeah 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 great great question i think i think ultimately that's um that that kind of becomes a classic it depends answer so i think we need to make sure that the foundations are right so we need to make sure that that kind of um, things like whether the athlete can, can maintain a good foot position. So good foot posture, good foot pressure in terms of it being appropriate to whatever it is they're doing. Um, generally, that will kind of make sure that control of the knee and the, the leg is, is pretty squared. Things like hip and shoulder stability, making sure they're able to, to do those sort of things effectively. And they know how to load their spine. So you probably don't want to pick up something really heavy with a load of spinal flexion. Um, and again, there's always kind of, <laughs> there's always depends, but essentially once, once we know that those kind of foundations are in place, then we can start giving the, the guys the opportunity to, um, to kind of problem solve for themselves. But I think that's, that's sort of where we need to, we need to be careful with the, the sort of traditional models, I'd say that, that we have in strength conditioning where, where generally we're, we're using languages and perspectives that have come from sports like powerlifting and weight and Olympic weightlifting, where kind of as you were talking about before, really the objective is for every single rep to look the same. And you want every single one of those reps you do to look like the Olympic champions or the, the kind of federation champions or world record holders. And that works really well in those sports because that's that's kind of the, the nature that like the better you can replicate, the better you perform. But kind of like we talked about before, that's where there's sort of a big delineation with the, with the tactical world, where there's so much grey. There's so many factors that that kind of that kind of be changed. Um, so, like I said, given given the guys the opportunity to to kind of figure stuff out for themselves and to be to be sort of pushed almost to the 
like to the fringes. So, so one of the one of the coaches I, I worked with before used to used to talk about this idea of coaching ugly, which I really like. So if if your if your athlete's able to to do 15, 20 Instagram reps and they all look great and you, you, can, you can kind of film them and and they're like pretty flawless, the chances are you, you're probably not making it challenging enough. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's not heavy enough, but it might mean that like maybe we can maybe we can kind of make it a little bit faster or we can put some pre fatigue on them or we can uh, perhaps use a live load like a, a sandbag or a squash club rather than like a barbell. And it's, it's starting to kind of like run with those concepts, I think, that take us to that that kind of that next step of making things. Well, and that makes sense though, right, too? Because again, like I said, I was, we know that an individual can get strong with a barbell. That there is, there is, mm. that's, a, that's known, right? We see it happen. And what, I forgot what year it was. I'm pretty sure someone can let me know from listening to the show. But the way we looked at strength was, wasn't it a uh, a gentleman picking up a, a baby bull every day until it got really yeah, big? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like, uh, was that yeah, ancient, ancient Greeks, Greeks. But it showed um, that it showed adaptation, right? It showed strength adaptation yes, from doing something, yeah, exposing yeah. yourself to it every single time. And I think this is a yeah. great idea again too. Is again, like a lot of this is all interconnected. This is all interconnected. And if mm-hmm. you can go ahead and look at it from that perspective, you actually can go ahead and, and be able to set yourself up to for, you know, and pre-arm yourself for such shortcomings such as dysfunctional movement due to an environment or due to an organism or due to the task at hand. So yeah, the way I like to look at that, and this is something that, you know, we've talked about a lot, right? You know, the dynamic systems theory, we, it goes into this idea of movement literacy, right? Where we look mm-hmm. at isolation integration and innovation that's literally what we're doing here when i look at this is like you just said it perfectly right you're like hey we got to go and look at how strong the foot is to handle that cutting aspect or to handle jumping over the canal with an extra 50 60 pounds on their back plus shooter's kit helmet in a pair of boots that you know that they're they've been walking in already for three four hours like that's a repetitive thing where you yeah. have you, you know and i'm not doing it just once in a patrol you're doing it sometimes four to five to six times in a patrol because it's kind of what happens you know mm. um yeah yeah so the goal there at the end of the day is to go ahead and you know not just movement variability but make sure that we can increase that movement literacy so the athlete can go ahead and you know save themselves from being injured and being pulled out from from the from their job because yeah. again if that happens then we've not then we don't do our job right if someone gets injured in, yes, in, in, yeah. in that kind of situation then we did something wrong mm. yeah I, yeah I, th- I think you you're right now if you remind me we'll, we'll unpack literacy in a second in, in terms of exactly what that is but but just going going back to your example of, of dropping off a wall and things like that um this this kind of sort of illustrates the, the point perfectly this idea of if we if we have an athlete drop off a box ten times in the gym, it it can look great, but that's not going to reflect the the kind of situation you're you, you're kind of talking about. So the the conversation we have to have in training is let's not necessarily turn the heating up as high as it will go and put sand all over the floor, but let's let's start thinking about like can the can the athlete like figure out how to land if instead of just Boom. dropping off they perhaps take a couple of steps and then drop off or they perhaps like do something to pre-fatigue their legs and then drop off. Can can they like come up with something that works as a as a kind of a viable solution? And a lot of that stuff, because we're we're trying to um, we're trying to kind of give the athlete the opportunity to figure it out for themselves. Because ultimately, with Matt and George aren't there on game day. They they've got to make that landing themselves. So we kind of almost need to um, 
let them kind of give them some constraints like we've talked about in terms of making sure they can they can organize their foot they can organize their spine for instance but within those kind of constraints within those parameters allowing them just to to play like you were talking about before and figure out well if i do x this happens if i do y this happens or it turns out that y means i fall on my face so that's probably not viable for this situation so i'll i'll try this with x and it's kind of yeah, it's looking at it from that. Yeah, it's cool. Like, and something that we can again we'll talk about the movement literacy, and I think that's just a, a piece of like you know our idea of what the dynamic systems theory is. Because one thing that I have like really taken uh, taken fond of is the idea of rebounding. Right. So the okay. spring. Right. Let's go ahead and use the reaction yeah, yeah, yeah. or the what is it? What's it called? The test called? It's like a stretch short. Yes, side. but there's a test they use. It's um. Uh, it's a Salgavian. Oh, reactive strength index where you drop. Yes, but they call it the Scandinavian like uh, rebound test or something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, God, it's on my. It's yeah, it's like, it's like an S S J. It's like S J R T test or something like that. We'll we'll put in the show notes or whatever. Okay. okay. But what yeah. it is ultimately is how well do you rebound? Pretty much how well is your springs and jumping yeah. up and down? Boom, boom. Yeah. So it's teaching this idea of how to go ahead and generate force from the centric aspect of the loading, right? Boom, boom, right back up. Teaching you to learn how to explode up. And again, it's the idea of again, like you said, right, having the body react to that stimulus to know when it needs a fire because we don't have that anymore. Mm. And I think the most simplest thing that you know I read in that article was um, teaching like a general like a general athlete how to go ahead and bounce up and down like that is actually very healthy for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the amount of input you get from, like into the nervous system is is huge. Like jumping, rolling, kind of tumbling. But that's like the that. idea behind it, um, right? Like that's that's playing. Yeah, yeah. That's literally playing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, well, that's that's how kids and, and like young adult, young animals, sorry, that's how they develop. That's how they figure stuff. So out. why would we? Is, so is that's the good that. thing. That's the next question. So why would we as adults take that away from ourselves, especially when we're trying to get stronger, right? Like, I, yeah. I will go ahead and yeah. use Ilya, who was like one of the world record fucking weightlifters, right, in the world. Like, obviously, yes, we know that he got like. But if you look at his like off season, he did a lot of playing. He rode bikes. He did a lot of different types of things. I think he played like racquetball or something like that quite a bit. He did all these kinds yeah, of yeah. things that actually implemented the play aspect of of what it is to perform and to progress and to practice, right? Like we understand that you're going to have to practice how to move better, but you're also going to have to be able to play to where you're not thinking about training. You're not thinking about anything else. And you're actually just playing a game of it with objects around you. Or you're playing a game of like follow the leader, right? Like something I play with my kids all the time. And it's like, that's actually increasing your dynamic movement right that that margin of error now increases because i no longer am moving in this like one domain aspect where it's only in a controlled environment i'm now playing in an environment that has for example rocks on the ground yeah. it has wood on the floor i now got to go to move around certain objects that's around me oh my heart rate might spike mm-hmm. a little bit cool like you have a lot of these things that come into play now and realistically all we're doing is taking that into a tactical professional's mindset and looking at it from their perspective and being like look we understand yeah. that if you're a firefighter that you might have to go ahead and run up this this staircase with X, Y, and Z. We understand too that that run up the staircase is not going to be just like your box steps that you box step ups that you do or your unilateral your unilateral split squats with extra load, but we know that this is going to have transferability to handle when you go and play because we strengthen that 
we strengthen certain positions and we strengthen certain muscles and joints and we've given them the stability and the mobility to handle such loads so that you can recover and be able to do it all over, all over again. Yeah. 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 And, and, and again, that's kind of, that's one of the things to be fair. I think, I think CrossFit did very well right at the start is, was this idea of, of kind of doing the, um, like how, how they kind of structured their workouts, but a big part of it was like regularly picking up and playing new sports, like novel sports. And I think it's like we talked about before, we, we've known, we've known for quite a long time now that like lifting heavy shit makes you strong. But, but it's 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 kind of the the so what of that. It's like you like you talked about with plays. We all, we, we once we once we develop that capacity, once we develop that increase in muscle cross sectional area, that increase in like kind of rate coding and, and nerve firing, we then have to like allow the the nervous system to figure out well well how do I integrate that? How do I like how do I make that relevant to what I do? And that's where like play, particularly kind of sport and, and things like that, I think is is really really important for for any population, but especially ours, because unlike in football or soccer or rugby, where they can play small-sided games and it's very similar to, to kind of their, their real life, their game day, we don't really have the opportunity because even, even kind of running running live drills in bit on the bit on the range or a kill house or, or kind of the, the like the fire equivalent or police equivalent there's that kind of switch in the back of your mind that's that's not been flipped where like almost the safety's left on like this is okay i'm not, i'm not about to get like jumped here and something really nasty happen but when you take when you take those same group of guys and play like five side football five side soccer indoors or you're playing like volleyball or something all of a sudden the kill instincts there like these guys want to win <laughs> so so you, so you kind of have that you have that carryover and yeah i think that's where things like Things like sport like that or adventure sports, I think are, are really, really valuable for, for like allowing that circle to come. Yeah, no, it makes I, I enjoy that. And like kind of the next thing too is like looking at this idea of movement literacy, right? Like we break it down. Mm. And I think that's an important piece to the idea of the dynamic systems theories, the forums, and even like our like our uh, 9090 approach from this like yeah, yeah. low skilled, closed skilled you know, rewiring of the system, let's reconnect to the diaphragm, let's go ahead and reconnect the brain to the body so that we can move into our training session for the day. And granted, will you be able to do that <laughs> in a foot chase? Hey, hold on, man, don't stop running. Let me go ahead and go do my 90-90 breathing and some warm-ups before I get there. No, but what this does for me in the gym, though, in that low-stress environment, it allows for me to have the ability to go ahead and do that quick sprint to whatever because it's been exposed over and over again how to keep connected so that neurological yeah, drive yeah. or connectivity is going to be there to understand how to do it it is yeah i think so. you have to start somewhat don't you? you have to start with like like if you if you're learning any new skill generally you have to start off with it being quite slow and quite steady before you kind of add yeah so like the idea of movement literacy and, and something that you know i've put together and someone can like help me term this better or however else but i look at movement literacy a lot like writing literacy and i had to like make sure i understood what the definition was of literacy and it was just pretty much being able to have your your writing as clear and efficient to be read and understandable at the end of the day right like it's very easy to be read so I look at movement literacy as the same idea, right? It's, it's you know exactly what you're doing, you know exactly what you want to do, and it's clear and efficient yeah. and it's understandable to the observer. Meaning, yeah. if I yeah, know yeah. that I want to see a proper air squat and I know that, hey, I need to make sure that my hips, again, my knees 
a lot of the times what happens we see with air squats and let me rewind this is a lot of people will shoot the hips back first and the knees break when it's actually a simultaneous movement where the knees and hips break together allowing to keep an upright chest going straight down and up again center of gravity shoulders are over the hips hips are over the base of the ankle and the heel but we're still getting three points of contact at all times with big toe little toe and and heel creating some generation of tension in the system now that movement literacy is what i'm looking for there right it's like okay cool do they understand what a squat is do they understand what a hinge is because if they understand that then i know their movement literacy is is up to par to where then now i can go ahead and look at the isolation of a specific joint and we'll go ahead and take the ankle for example or we can take the knee or we can take the hip we can take the lumbar spine and we can take the thoracic spine or we can take the clavicle and shoulder right? And the neck and, and, and look at it from that perspective. And it's like, okay, I can isolate those joints now to go ahead and do what? Well, get it ready for, again, this idea of the unknown, meaning that, hey, if I isolate the ankle and I know that there's limited range of motion, strength, I know that he is set up for injury. If I was to add 20 pounds to his, to his body plus a 60 pound pack on his back and then, and then put him in boots that limit his range of motion, now, potentially, maybe the boots might save him because, again, it doesn't press him into overextending because the boot only gives him a certain range of motion, so it's actually saving him. So maybe, maybe we'd leave it alone. Who knows, right? We can go ahead and look at the idea when, uh, remember, that, uh, remember that study they did on the football player where they gave him an anesthesia and he like passed out and they showed how mobile he became because like his nervous system okay. shut down, so he was able to become like super, yeah. but then when... He uh, when he came back to, they put him through his FMS screening. They showed that he was super; te- his tension was through the roof. He wasn't able to do certain things, but he needed that for his environment to perform. It's the same thing yeah, here. Yeah. I look at that, right? It's like, okay, cool. Your movement literacy needs to go ahead and and translate again. This word translator transfer into mm-hmm. your environment that you are going to be working in. Yeah. Right. And yeah. No, definitely. And- I think where where like the where you kind of draw the analogy or draw the comparison to like teaching a child literacy, like teaching a child to read and write, is perfect because like kind of like like you were saying, really teaching teaching them kind of how to do basic letters, how to how to draw an A, how to draw a B, how to draw a C. That's going to be kind of like your your squat. Like how do you yeah how how do you perform a squat? Can you make that look good? Yeah, brilliant. And then once you once you've got that, then you can start kind of combining a few of those letters to make cat, dog, mum, those, those kind of short and there's, letters. Short and there's words, integration. Sorry. Yeah, and that, that might be your maybe stringing together three or four squats in a row. You know? And then you, then you can kind of start making those words a bit more complicated and, and, and putting them into basic sentences. And that's going to start to look a bit more like maybe uh, maybe kind of lunging into something, so a lunging to a step so where, where more things are, are moving. And we can we can gradually start kind of layering in the complexity of those sentences slash movement hands, whichever one you're looking at. And eventually, exactly like you said, we get to the point where we can have full-blown conversations, which are sort of full, full sentences, full paragraphs where you're reacting to someone else. Which um, yeah, which is like the that. idea of innovation, right? Like yeah. that's it. Yeah. So we yeah. we what we do is we just move the individual through this movement literacy phase of these three characteristics of isolation, integration, and innovation to allow for them to go ahead and meet operational demand and exceed whatever it is they need to, right? By being that much more resilient at the end of the day. Yes. Yeah. And you, and you have to so kind of like you were you were sort of saying before, like you might 
you might be a great public speaker or you might be a great writer and have some like some some kind of basic some sort of problems maybe with uh, for instance like pronouncing certain words or with spelling certain words just like the guy might have a, a problem with their, their kind of ankle range movement in which case like in ultimately in order to to kind of take your performance to the next level and, and get yourself better ultimately rather than learning more fancy words you're probably better served going back and relearning those basics and i think that's that's definitely something that's really important in our population because we're not necessarily dealing with the guys and girls who are like super gifted athletes you're not necessarily dealing with d1 athletes day in day out you've, you've got people who maybe were very good but have kind of been injured and have had all sorts of other problems but you, yeah, you've got to make sure that that base is there for everything else to kind of be layered on. Stuck upon. Yeah, and and, and yeah, it's yeah. a great point too. You said right, like if someone was to be injured, right? We now have to look at it not just from a, a, a physicality aspect. We also have to now look at it from a psychological perspective, as well, right? Because mm, yeah. now that in, that athlete who let's say rolled their ankle jumping across the canal, now when they go to that canal again to jump over it, they're gonna have that sense of noise that actually slows down their their processing system to allow for them to react to their environment the organism the organism and the task in front of them so that's yeah. where it's like okay yeah. cool this is where we get into like understanding the psychological aspect of sports rehab and injury because you have to pair that with the strength conditioning as well to go ahead and not have the injury happen again yes yeah yeah yeah, it can't be siloed. We have to. We, we, I think with everything, I think that's something that you've done really well with the with the conscious warrior system so far. Is rather than again historically, we, we kind of looked at psychology and biomechanics and nutrition and breath work and downregulation things like that as separate entities. I think kind of like starting to have these 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 sort of joined up ideas where things are unified and actually this probably affects this, which affects something else, which affects this. They're they're really relevant. Um, because you could you could start kind of uh, dragging into some of the conversations we had last time about like PTSD and about kind of neurotags this idea of of uh, like your your injured athlete might be might be fine performing all the the kind of the requirements the prerequisites in the gym in training, but the minute they pull their their combat boots on or they put their, their kit on, nothing's really changed physically, but all of a sudden there's that mental kind of switch of like oh shit this is what happened last time. Uh, and I, I think you, I don't remember whether we, we talked about this like on the last podcast, or whether it was just us chatting. So apologies <laughs> for guys listening. Um, the, uh, you, you were talking about, um, like Oh, that was yesterday. Kind of we talked about that yesterday. Yesterday. Yeah. So I remember, so it was one of those things where, um, you know, if I was to go jump out of an airplane again today, and haven't done it in three years, you know, um, in skydive, I still automatically remember all of the emergency protocols just in case I was to have a malfunction. Um, and I always refer back to that or associate that with an event that happened in my first night jump at freefall school. Um, and, and what ended up happening was, was, you know, night jump first loadout. It was our first night jump with full loadout combat gear. And for those who've never gone through like freefall school and done that stuff, you end up having like an 80 pound, a 60 pound ruck on front of you. Um, plus you're on night vision goggles and it's dark in there and you're having a good old time. 
And there's a there's a certain malfunctions or different types of malfunctions. The malfunction I had was a bag lock, pretty much where you know the, the main chute comes out and it's inside's D bag, but it doesn't come out fully, so it's just like kind of flaring in the wind. And there's a certain uh, there's a certain number that you count to, and then all of a sudden when you don't feel your chute open up, um, you start going through your emergency pro- uh, protocols. And my very first night combat jump, I had to go ahead, and it was one of those situations where I almost had to go ahead and pull. Um, the, I literally was about to go through my emergency, um, get ready to go through my emergency protocols. It was, it was one of those things where, yeah. <laughs> how do I explain it? Cause I've tried, I hate telling stories like this just because I like, I hate talking about them because of the fact that I'm boasting about myself or whatever else, but no, no, I think it's really important to give context to, to, so I mean, so much of the stuff we talk about is so kind of like abstract and theoretical and oh, this, this could work in theory. But like the fact that, that we can use something like this, this is a, a classic illustration of like the fact you have to learn those skills slow time, time yeah. and over and over and yeah, over you know, again. And, and it was like, yeah, it was, yeah. and the way I learned and end up, so recognize I had a bag lock. I was able to like turn and slightly see and like I felt what it felt like. And as I was getting ready to go through my emergency procedures and getting ready to pull, um, it released, right? So I had to like stop before pulling to go ahead and check and recognize what was going on. And I'm pretty sure some people would be like, man, you should have just pulled anyways. That could have been a bad shoot. But luckily, like I, I was able to open up, check canopy. Canopy was good. All right, check goggles left, right. All right, I'm good. I'm like, okay, cool. I can focus on what I need to. Um, but again, I was able to stop right away, recognize what was going on, and then go ahead and get back to my normal procedures of of, mm. of of open open canopy when you're under canopy and i was able to yeah. land and everything else like that but i always go back to that because of the fact that that was the exact experience that helped me create this like idea of my my emergency protocols right like oh i know i need to go through yeah, there. Yeah, yeah i'm not saying like everything else didn't but obviously the repetitions of me practicing in the wind tunnel practicing them just over my head memorization that i was having to do whenever i was had free time just in case because again at the end of the day, those things happen, and that's an environmental stressor that I have to be able to react to and make quick time decisions to allow myself to go ahead and do what? Either cut away, deploy my reserve, or hey, my chute opened up, let me check canopy real quick and make sure I'm good. Okay, boom, boom, and then I can go ahead and continue on, or I might have to cut away, and so I still have enough, again, margin of error yeah, that, that whole buffer to go through that to where I was able, yeah. and again, this sounds like a long time happening, but it was split seconds. It was like, boom, open up 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000. Oh, shit, my chute's not opening up. Getting ready to go. And then all of a sudden, katoosh. And I'm like, okay, check canopy. You know, make sure lines are good. Left, right, toggle. Okay, open up. All right, sweet. I'm good. MVGs are good. Do I see the, the T? All right, sweet. I'm good. I'm flying. Compared to like, oh, shit. Yeah. I'm about to pull. I check canopy. Toggle's not working. Canopy's all tangled up. I need to go and go through emergency procedures. So again, it gives me the ability to go ahead and have that one we talked about last show, the psychological flexibility to go ahead and make those 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 changes right away. And we've talked about this too, and yeah. it comes back to, again, I get super excited talking about these stories when I do I'm allowed to talk about them. <laughs> um, the idea of information processing system the capacity yeah. to go ahead and process information around you to allow for you to still meet operational demands. Mm, yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of, these, these are the conversations I, I think are really important because this is now like, this is, this is kind of how, how we turn, take that next step, how we, how we kind of move things forward. And I, I think this is it. I think this, this idea of like integrating 
these kind of ideas into the, the kind of the training environment are, are really important. And it doesn't, so what we can't get away with is we can't have you like go up and do 10 jumps where deliberately there's a malfunction every time. Like <laughs> we, clearly we, we can't do that. So, so what we have to do is kind of, well, how can we, how can we create situations in, in the weight room, in the gym and training environment that whilst aren't exactly the same, whilst they're not one for one, how can we create that same, like, that same feeling of being under stress and under pressure still resulting back to like making clear decisions and, and kind of following like perhaps pre-learned action. So for instance, like stoppage drills, things like that. Like how do we, how do we kind of simulate that kind of environment so that when it does happen exactly like you were, things are kind of slow motion, everything's really controlled and not like high through the roof. Oh my God, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Which I definitely well, and, and it's funny because like, you know, <laughs> one thing that our instructors taught us, especially going through that schoolhouse was like, hey, make sure you go through all of your emergency procedures prior to jumping out. So like, you know, you, you have your altimeter and you get to get taken up and it takes a while to get up. So you get to run through every single emergency procedure. And it's actually something that they highly recommend. And I'm pretty sure everyone that skydives still. And if you're not doing it, you're an idiot, but should go through their emergency procedures no matter what. So realistically, I had already ran through my emergency procedures prior to jumping out that on that jump. So it was kind of fresh in my head. I had already known that, Hey, these are the stressors and the risk factors that come with doing this. I just need to have the arousal to be aware of just in case it does happen. So again, did I know what I was, what was happening? I just knew at that moment that it was taking longer for my shoe to open up and anything after a certain number of seconds, I need to start going into my emergency procedures. But I was able to, at that moment, yes. it would actually took a, a second later, but automatically my reaction and my thought process when I realized I hit that six seconds was like, oh, emergency procedures, boom, it opened up. Okay, cool. I know mm -hmm. I didn't waste 10 seconds fucking yeah. around with my emergency. I was able to recognize, react, and remember and, and process the, the, the risk that came with that work through it. And then I was able to land safely, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I guess, I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like this idea of, of this, the situation could have been infinitely different. Like it could have been a different time of day. It could have been a different location. It could have been a different temperature. It could have been jumping out with a different number of guys with different kit configuration, but you still had that have happened, had X happened, you still would have done Y. A hundred percent, which is sense? what we're trying to get to, right? Like this dynamic systems theory yeah, gives yeah. you a why, right? Like gives you that. So, so what next? Yeah, right. Yeah, so definitely. when we go ahead and talk about um, how do we train something like this? Well, we know that you can go ahead and go through your emergency procedures in a low heart rate, low skill, sitting on the, you know, just at in your in your hotel room while you're going through the schoolhouse or prior, you know, hey, I'm getting ready to jump in two weeks. I might need to start going through emergency procedures because I haven't been working them for a while. So there's an exposure that mm -hmm. way, right? Just mentally going through it from a low skill, and that's a psychological perspective. But when we go ahead and go into the physicality or into the gym setting, it's all right. All right. For example, we're going to go ahead and do three depth jumps, right? Let's just say three depth jumps into a pair, into um into a parallel fall, right? Three jump jumps into a parallel fall, okay. right? Because it teaches that. But from there, I'm going to go straight into, after I do those three, straight into maybe five zercher squats as fast as I can. And now I'm going to ask you to go into your emergency procedures. So yeah. there is, yeah, yeah. again, we talked about, we are pre-fatiguing the system to increase some kind of, you know, biological response to allow for you now to go ahead and have the cognitive function to go ahead and go through those things 
because now that has transferability. What happens when you jump out of an airplane and you're falling to the sky from 13,000 feet with a 60-pound ruck on your back at nighttime, arching as hell, and you have, you know, and now you're having to go ahead and look around you, make sure you're no one's around you, make sure you're checking altimeter, make sure you're going through procedures, getting ready to open canopy. Oh, shit, my canopy doesn't open at the six seconds like I thought it was. Oh, boom, seven seconds. I can react to that. It's the same exact thing in the gym. Yeah. I kind of just it looked at some kind of biological response to go ahead and have you work mm -hmm. that cognitive function, which now all of yeah. that has transferability to your job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, 100%, 100%. Um, and it's, it's, it's things like, um, it's kind of giving, giving the guys the opportunity to, to figure stuff out for themselves because like you had to, you had to go through those drills by yourself. And you had to have the confidence to like to go through them and not be kind of thinking, oh, I'm not sure whether I should do this or not. You have you have to have that conviction because you haven't got an instructor there to do it for you. And and that's kind of that's scalable right from those kind of extreme situations down to like maybe a, an EMT or, or kind of uh, like a paramedic moving a moving a patient or a casualty on the ground. Because if all we do to to kind of prep them is perform like barbell deadlifts yeah that's that's a good start that's kind of that's that's the like isolation aspect three yeah yeah that, that's it that's kind of our like basic kind of uh kindergarten words like that, that we're kind of getting down but ultimately the situation that's happening is like a full-blown sentence or paragraph where, where you've got to be reactive so where in terms of kind of practical take-homes in terms of things that, that hopefully should should start being a bit more uh, prescriptive and, and real for people rather than just doing barbell deadlifts maybe we need to start playing around with with things that are um that are kind of a hybrid like a mixture of movements so perhaps you don't pick up a barbell perhaps it's like a a log or perhaps it's um maybe like a, an atlas stone or a, a casualty dummy something like that and <clears throat> excuse me and, and where this kind of Hopefully where this, this sort of movement literacy idea is, is sort of illustrated is when you do the deadlift and when you move the casualty, we still need to make sure that A, B and C look right. And in the movement context, that's well, we still need to make sure that maybe you, maybe you can't get into that classic deadlift, competition deadlift setup, but we still don't want to be flexing the spinal load. We still want to be thinking about appropriate foot posture, whatever that looks like, if, if you kind of want something that's unstable or uneven. We, we have to still obey those kind of those rules of literacy, if you like. But, but this is where we, we kind of have to give, give the athlete the chance to be creative and figure out, well, what works best in kind of novel and, and new environments? Because they, they kind of need to have those problem solving skills in, in, terms, of, in terms of kind of solving movement. I'm, I'm with you on there. So there's this, this actually brings up an, uh, a thing I used to do with my weightlifters when I used to run my weightlifting team. Um, you know, yeah. and there's a reason why I bring this up is because it actually hits this really well. You said a key word in there. You said thinking. When I go and pick up the casualty, I should be thinking about not a flex spine, proper foot position. But realistically, in that moment, you're not thinking. You're just reacting. So... Yeah, Again, yeah. this is where the play, the practice, and the progressions of learning how to go ahead and integrate, you know, this thinking to go ahead and perform. So where, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when it comes down to going and picking that casualty up, it's less thinking, more doing. Same thing I used to tell oh, I used to tell my weightlifters yeah. was like, hey, if we're going out for a comp hey, like this today's competition, you're done fucking thinking. 
It's all about doing. Your body will naturally react or respond if you go ahead and can tap in again to that like, yeah. Let me do this thing. This neurological, this neurological connection of like, let me drop yeah, yeah. into that arousal state to where it gives me that habitual boom. The bar is nice and tight to the system, right? And we talked about this just like you ran through those correct. drills, just, just the same, same way, way, right? Like you, like, and that there is the key here, right? Is where it's like, hey, when it's time to actually react in your environment or you're in your profession, there's no more thinking. It's now doing. The thinking happened in the closed environment, the low stress environment, where we did focus on proper foot balance, right? Single leg hold with a kettlebell around the hips or a, a kettlebell halo from a single leg position, right? We've now just challenged you to do that in a low stress environment to where that has some kind of transferability into moving that casualty, foot strength, foot position. Now, if I have to move my knee in slightly some weird way, I have the foot strength to handle that that angle of the knee, right? Or it's like, oh, my knee naturally just stays in position when it feels it get ready to cave in because I've practiced that. So that's where it is. It comes down to where the goal here is we're trying to have you guys think less and do more of the proper thing of how to move. But the way you do that is in the gym setting and, and through utilizing kettlebells sandbags you know for example there was a there was a movement i saw the other day which i thought was really cool and i'm going to try it out i had to find a, a light sandbag though before i do it but it was like this single leg hold to bound with the kettle with the sandbag in front okay so like it was a okay. lateral bound though it was like you 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 use the sandbag to lateral to the side and then so it was a lateral right, speed right. skater with a sandbag and and yeah. and like and yeah. when you see the dynamic of what the full body does, when I saw that individual doing it, it was like foots. Oh shit! I dropped my podcast stuff. Um, you see the foot hit right, and you see it stabilize, and you see the knee stabilize, you see the hip stabilize, and you see the trunk stabilize, and you see the shoulder stabilize. So you end up seeing this like from the ground all the way up. Um, yeah, yeah. Type. And, and that's I think that's another great example of like what we can manipulate those 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 kind of parts of that dynamic systems theory. We can we can like manipulate the the kind of the the task by changing the, the equipment and changing the kit. Um, and, and that's like a really good way of of kind of like I guess testing the movement literacy almost. Like, can you still make A, B, and C look really really good? Can you still make foot position and knee like? knee kind of shin line and still look really good when you've got something that's moving you or when you're like kind of doing something that's novel correct so like and i take that right so like when you jump over a canal we'll go back to the example right you're landing in a single leg Mm. motion you're landing from like a lateral jump because you're literally jumping it's not like you're jumping in a straight line i don't believe everybody jumps in a straight line unless in like this the proper setting but when you're in a setting of jumping from one side of the canal to the other, which is three to four to five feet, there's going to be bushes, there's going to be rocks, there's going to be whatever else. So when you're jumping, you're looking for that that area that's going to give you the, the best stability, right? And your body will take care of the rest. So it's kind of the same idea. It's like, oh, I hit, boom, I stabilized, set up, boom, I'm stable. Okay, cool. I can then have the follow-on movement to, to release the energy that I just generated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and that's kind of um, so kind of like at, at one end of the spectrum, I guess, in terms of training complexity. And again, this is this is something that we, we dived into quite heavily in in kind of the, the conscious warrior stuff in, in terms of like a training progression. At one end of the spectrum, we we've got those like teaching those real foundation parts of the movement, so that like like George was saying, they become automatic over time. 
So things like maintaining alignment, maintaining like, are you, are you able to track objects? Are you able to maintain kind of an appropriate sort of spinal position, things like that. And then at the other end of the spectrum, we, we've got the, the kind of the testing of that, if you like, which is, is like known as chaos training. So it's this idea that every rep we do is a little bit different. So it, it might be, for instance, if you were, um, if you're doing a back squat, let's use that as an example, rather than just knocking out your, your five sets of five and every rep looks exactly the same, it's perfect to post online because it shows how, how awesome of a coach you are. What you, can, what you can look to do is, is maybe the first set is, is just a regular back squat. The second set, you perhaps have one foot an inch or two in front of the other. The next set, you maybe switch the foot position again and perhaps adjust the weight slightly. So it's maybe a kilo and a half heavier on one side. The next set, you, you maybe have the athlete look at something in the bottom right-hand corner or look at something in the top left-hand corner. You, you constantly change maybe one or two parameters depending on how advanced and how capable And see how well is. them back squat still and, looks, right? Yeah, yeah. And it, it gives them a chance to like, well, I, I know what I, I know the rules. I know I have to like think about all the, the kind of the, um, like the safety considerations, like not rolling on the instep and, and things like that. Can I still, can I figure out how to perform movement properly with these kind of constraints, with these different things added? And that I think is the, the link between what we do in the weight room and your jumping over a canal example. And, and so like it's that. really cool. And I, another example too for this, I used to do this with my weightlifters as well. Um, I used to put my hand out in front of them, right? and then have my yeah. hand out in like a five. And then when they went to hit their full okay. extension to the receive of the snatch or the clean and jerk, I would change the number, right? Okay. And so it would be like, all right, cool. I have my hand out. All right, here's a five. They go through their lift. It goes two, four. And they have to be able to give me back what what the numbers went through. Was it a two and a four or was it a four and a two? But what I was doing, and I obviously didn't realize this is what I was doing. I was teaching them to keep their eyes fixated in something in front of them, like in a like a forty, like a like right at eye level, because it helps with keeping the bar and your Mm. finish proper. It keeps you from like I used to have a really bad problem with my head whip. So when you head whip and you finish your pull or your snatch, sometimes it you you lose sight of where you want, so it throws the body off ultimately, right? So it was like, all right, cool. Mm. I'm gonna put my hand out and I'm gonna go ahead and have you focus on you're going to go ahead and give me the two numbers that you see when you're doing your lift. And it would go two, four, I would go four, two. I'll just throw numbers out and they would have to give it back to me. What I saw was one bar position was 10 times better. Um, Their head position was better and their receiving stability of the bar was 10 times better due to the fact of Mm. they were able to focus on one thing that allowed them not to think so much about their lift because they had been ready nailing it, but it was actually fixing a bad habit. Mm. Yeah, and, and that I mean that that example just by itself is that's definitely a take home for anybody that's that's kind of thinking of how they can make their training more more kind of transferable. Is have activities like that have have a, a, a teammate or a training partner like hold up hold up a number of fingers or, or move somewhere or do something and see if you can you can still track what they're doing whilst you're performing because we we know that everything we do is about like like tracking people, faces, objects, things like that. So we can't afford to like ingrain a pattern like a head whip because it, it's the exact opposite of what we want in a in a combat or a duty environment where it's all about vision and about kind of like maintaining awareness of, of where you are. So that's yeah. a great show. I like that and, and definitely 
I don't even know where I got that from. I think it was just something I had thought about. And I think it was due to the fact of like, hey, what do I do like to fix this head whip? And it was something I started kind of digging around. and was like, oh, let me try this. And I ended up doing it, you know, with athletes. And dude, it was was awesome. Whenever I saw athletes, you know, head whipping or keeping their head down when they receive bars was a good idea to use this. Um, And then it kind of led to me like looking at having athletes like change platform positions, Right. Because a lot of times what happens when you go to these national and local meets, you know, national level meets, you have like this just lights in front of you and everything's blinding. Well, that's fucking really irritating. Um, yeah, yeah. Right? right? And then like in a local meet, you (laughs) have a lot of people who like walk around in the back who are talking loud. So it's a lot different than what a national meet would look like. So to still be able to get out there and, and lift, you have to learn how to be able to connect, get to that, to that, to that, you know, that arousal state to allow for you to perform where you need to, to make that, you know, PR lift. Um, so that's yeah. the reason why I did a lot of that was just from the information processing aspect mm-hmm. in which at that time period, I didn't know what I was exactly doing. I just knew that this helped improve performance. So this is kind of where I went to that. Yeah. And now as we like dive deeper into, you know, the conscious warrior system, we start talking about cognitive loading and functionality, you know, a lot of these things matter. And it's kind of like, man, why didn't I, like, I remember doing Kim's games. I remember doing all these things, but no one ever like, gave me that like I never understood exactly what it was doing from a physiological and a psychological response. And now understanding it, you know, it's allowed me to really yeah. just kind of, you know, look at how I want to develop the athlete in in general. Right. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, not just the tactical yeah. professional needs this, but the general pop also needs this. You know, yeah. when we talk about yeah. aging and memory loss and we talk about those types of things, then we start talking about, you know, as we age with movement, it also becomes dysfunction dysfunctional i'm sorry yeah 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 you're completely right and and like um a, a lot of a lot of stuff i think with within fitness and strength conditioning and within kind of the tactical world as well a lot of the kind of the the old wise tales like the, the kind of the fairy tales the things we've done forever just because they work i think a lot of them do have a lot of efficacy a lot of them do work but i guess with where we can use things like research and, and kind of uh, having more of a scientific understanding of why things work, it, it kind of gets rid of some of that, that like randomness. Like you're able to, you're able to use that. So for a Kim's game, for instance, rather than like, oh yeah, that's, that's cool. I'll, I'll try and remember to do that whenever I'm doing X, Y, and Z. Now you have like the, the kind of the understanding of the psychology and like how the, how the sort of the memory and the, the brain works. You're now able to say, well, I've seen, athlete a who's struggling in this task and now i have a tool and an intervention i can insert to make them better and i know that this will lead to that we know obviously there's always there's always kind of individual differences and and n equals one and all that kind of stuff but it it gives us more of a like it takes some of the chance out of it because we we kind of understand why things it's less guessing and i think you've said it in the past right like hey it just lets us you know narrow in on the bullseye that much more to you know having them perform on demand because that's that's the goal right like (laughs) ultimately our goal as strength conditioning coaches our human performance coaches however you want to look at it our goal is to go ahead and help the individual perform on demand in the most efficient and, and not waste energy doing it, right? Like they need to be able to, and again, going into the general adaptation syndrome, we know the different phases and we know that like the longer the time we are in the resistance phase, which is stage two, we know then it's gonna take longer to get back to a baseline of homeostasis, right? So it's like recognizing that and being like, okay, cool. 
I know I have to go ahead and look at it from again, like we've said in the in the, in the past. It's like okay, so what's next, right? I just got yeah. done performing, yeah. you know, and we'll use the example of jumping over the canal. Once that foot lands, I have to transfer the rest of that energy into the next foot, into the next foot to then bring me to a controlled walk, right? That's the, it's like, yeah. okay, cool. So those movements also matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what happens if there's something on the ground you need to dodge or you need to Again, like, have to, again, there's always a next. There's always a there's next. Always a next. So step. it's like looking at it from that perspective is like, okay, understand yeah. like, hey, yes, this is the thing, but what's next? And it doesn't mean that you mm-hmm. you you cut back your effort or you cut back whatever else. It's no. It's like no. You're always just thinking that next step, and ultimately you're just trying to become a better better thinker and a better uh, reactor to your environment, which allows you to stay in this like logical thought process instead of spiraling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like like you said, the, the kind of the end the end result really for for us is like they have we have to be able to put the. The, the professional the athlete in the best possible position every time because sorry absolute cheese fest it sounds so cliche often in our professions there isn't a second chance you can't be like oh fuck it I'll, well, we're playing again next Sunday so it's all right I can have another go so like that that's where we like what we do is very serious it's very it's Correct. very real um like you have to get it right you said it Um, you said it the other day you were like we were talking oh because of the crossfit opens just coming around we had talked about this you know and you're Mm -hmm. like we were talking about yeah like all these crossfit athletes and coaches that are coaching these games athletes and you were like dude fuck that you said something like that you're like that's cool (laughs) he's like but we get to train war fighters and dudes that are actually fighting for left or life or death and i was like fuck yeah that's actually i'm i was like that's cool like <laughs> yeah. when you think about it and putting that perspective yeah. it's like yeah it's cool to train a fucking athlete who can do you know these movements in a simple environment i'm not saying it's easy because it's not like i'm not gonna lie to you but it's in it oh, i think simple and easy are very correct. different things I think correct right not. but a yeah. simple environment where the variability of risk factors in that environment are very very fucking low Right. A lot of it more is yeah. is determined through organism and task. When we look at like the dynamic yeah. systems theory, when we go to take an MMA fighter yeah. now, we now go and look at environmental organization and task in terms of that. But that's still like, yeah. yes, is that considered life or death? Yes, that is also right. Like they have to be able to recognize when they have to be able to re- react, recognize and remember what it looks like to see a right hook coming. Right. Well, the tactical professional, yeah. no matter depending on what their profession is, LEO, first responder, firefighter, or military athlete, they have to then also recognize the risk factors and the potential threats that come with their jobs. That again, so it goes from this simple to complex environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like like the the comparison of the MMA and the, or the cage and the and like the the tactical is is great. Because again, like yeah, they're both they're both kind of seem to be quite dangerous, but like the the MMA fighter knows that his fight is at 10 p.m. in Vegas on the 3rd of October. You know, he knows that, and he knows that probably he's going to be fine to like walk down the street with his kids the rest of the time, and he knows that like for that short period of time, it's going to be very very intense and like very like very scary, but for for like a very a very um, controlled period i guess whereas like you kind of look at something like police or fire and again kind of goes back to this whole conscious warrior thing this whole idea of like the longer we can keep the guys in the game for the better they're they're doing that not just for minutes but like maybe for a 10 or a 12 hour shift for four days straight for 25 30 years and and that that's when you kind of then have to start wrapping your head around like 
So we need to make sure that the little things, the things that like are kind of the A, B, C, the foundation parts, we need to make sure they're really good because that's going to get amplified as like, as, as kind of the, the reps and the wear, if you like, kind of go through. Yeah, the it's the amount of load that the body and the, 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 the psychological and physiological aspect goes through. It's the amount of load, right? I think there's like a scientific term yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah. Um, it starts with an A. Alistair, okay. is it Alistair? I forgot. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know um, is Alistair? There you go, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're yeah. right, right? So that load is very, is a little bit lower when it comes to the CrossFit athlete, right? Um, due mm. to the simple environmental stressors. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. When we look at the MMA fighter, it now increases. And then all of a sudden, when we go and take the tactical mm. professional, it now increases. Um, but it, like you said, it's a very good point. Like, we're not taking away from anybody doing these things. It's just a different way of understanding hey, look, we understand like all of this matters in the world of strength conditioning. We just have to learn how to distribute this to this, this world of the tactical professional to allow for them to go ahead and start training better and having a better way of thinking for not just longevity, but for their overall health. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, where, where you, where you bang on is like where we need to get away from is this idea of like, well, this system works for athletes, CrossFit athlete, sprinter, weightlifter, A, so therefore, because they're at the top of their game, it has to work for the tactical athlete. Like you can't, it can't be kind of like plug and play. It's it's not the same. They're very different. It needs to be molded arms. differently. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we, we can't like, you, you can't kind of take a, like a, a CrossFit or an Olympic weightlifting or a powerlifting session and have the guys do it in boots with a sandbag. And then all of a sudden it becomes relevant for the tactical professional. Because that's like that's such a two-dimensional view of this. Like, there's so much more going on. It's a, it's it's no longer a three D or a four D. It's now become a five D perspective. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, man. I, I think you know. At the end of the day, I really am, am stoked about sharing this information, especially this idea of the dynamic systems theory, um, and then you know pitching out our first idea of like what we've been talking about movement literacy and how do we look at that? And again, does this mean, you know, that you go into the gym with a full kit on now and start trying to train certain? No, it's like you, you, you get enough of that exposure with your job already, right? It's like, yeah. that's where you're able to perform. It's, it's, you get, you use the gym to, to practice and to create progressions to go ahead and allow for you to handle that load, um, in your job. And there's going to be times, for example, yeah. you know, where you're getting closer to maybe a deployment and, you know, you have to become a little bit more specific in your training. So maybe you do put on a couple, you know, a shooting vest or you put on your weight belt or your, your waist belt or you use a ruck for some things, right? Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, though, it's like we got to go ahead and look at the athlete from a very different perspective when it comes to movement and how we view health. Because, again, no one realizes this, but you know, you can tell a lot about someone's health through movement. Yeah. 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 That's very valid. So, well, we're, uh, Matt, where can people find out more about this dynamic systems theory? I know you shared some information with me, but how can people learn more about it? And, you know, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's something that I think is, is kind of still evolving as a field. So the, the, the field more broadly is under kind of skill acquisition or, uh, like movement development, um, those kind of areas normally they kind of sit within the, the sports science side of things. Um, uh, a, a guy called Franz Bosch um, is 
arguably one of the industry leaders uh, in terms of kind of his, his thinking, his practice. Uh, again, up, up until kind of up, up until present, he's he's largely kind of more integrated in sport, uh, and that's something that me and George are finding quite frequently is that we um, we have to kind of take and adapt and kind of figure out how we learn from those lessons in sport and make them kind of tactically relevant. Um, so that'll probably be the same for a lot of the a lot of the stuff that you you kind of find. But yeah, uh, have a have a look at, at some of the stuff of, of Franz Bosch. Um, and then things like um, even even things like kind of child development, like learning development, learning theory, and things like that. And I'll, I'll kind of hand over to George for the psychology perspective in a second. Um, yeah, anything where you're looking at people learning skills. So, uh, for instance, Dan Coyle uh, has has done some really good books. I think he I think he worked with NSW for a little bit as a as a contractor in a similar. Yeah, in a similar kind of capacity, like how, how can we kind of increase efficiency of the, of the athletes? Um, but yeah, anything where you kind of learn in skills that makes us kind of, or makes you think about your training in terms of um, going beyond it just being a back squat or a bench press. Like how, how, can, how can we make what you're doing in the gym relevant to the real world? Um, so yeah, don't be afraid to, we talked briefly at the start about the kind of the environmental factors changes in you as the organism and, and factors affecting the task, like how you're performing the thing. Don't be afraid to kind of mix up some of those things at, at, at different times and just see if you can still figure out a viable solution. But yeah, sorry, George, no, I'll, man, I'll, I'll pass over from the psychology. I mean, but if you've got any pointers, for it, it, it honestly, when it comes down to looking at it from the sports performance and psychological, you know, um, world a lot of it comes down to again like understanding what like visualization does what like mental rehearsals do and a lot of these things because again those are considered free reps right so like when i yeah. you know i enjoy cqb a lot because of the psychological responses that create the biological responses right it's like it's like and we talked about this in the past, this exposure to it, but you have to go ahead and process information so quickly in such an efficient manner to go ahead and make the right decisions in such split second, you know, manners when you walk into a room, when you throw a flashbang, when if you're the second, third or fourth guy, or if it's a two man, or if we're having two teams run through a room, um, you have to be able to, you know, work on that level. So how do we get repetitions in? It's the same thing with dry firing. I can practice dry firing without a weapon. You know, I can run through my head. We can we can do a lot of these things. So a lot of the similar things that we see in the sports world today when it comes to like, you know, what's the mental edge, a lot of that can transfer into the tactical professional and the tactical population. It's just being smart with how we utilize it. Right? Because again, <clears throat> yeah, again, yeah. when we spec when we start to become more specific when it comes to uh, physical training, it can do a detriment to our to our psychological state. So it's learning how to balance the two to get ready for it. And you know, I think that's mm-hmm. that's something that you know when we talk about health is like the lack of you know burnout. Like you know, a lot of guys you know will deploy four or five times in a row and never really understand like, hey man, like you can't. That's hard to do, and you're not going to recover as well. Like you just dug yourself a hole, and now you have to go ahead and you know take a different approach to this you know so our goal is that you know what we're trying to do here is really integrate the two to allow for you know that war fighter to go ahead and do four back-to-back deployments and not be completely fucking taxed or you know that police officer who has to do full you know 
four back-to-backs, you know, or something that, that you know, it, again, at the end of the day, the goal is to go ahead and lower occupational stress so that they can go ahead and, you know, not just meet performance demands and operation demands, but also live a better lifestyle. And I'm going to continue going back to that. The goal is health and improving that. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and, and definitely just, just to kind of, to, I guess, link up with, with what we were talking about before, this idea of it, it doesn't always have to be hard or challenging or like kind of leave people finish like finished absolutely destroyed often we can we can add more value by by kind of knowing when's a good idea to kind of pull back on the throttle and, and back off slightly um yeah yeah you have to have that foundation. sick well brother till next time thank you very much and if you guys have any questions or want to know more about this uh about this topic go ahead and email us uh, either email me at george at softly.com or you can email Matt, Matt at softly.com. Um, thanks again for your time, guys, and looking forward to the next one. Laters.